Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the Betting Pros Week 8 college football look ahead with Thor Nystrom. I'm Thomas Viola, and he's, of course, Thor Nystrom, and we're going to be looking through what the week is going to be bringing us ahead in college football. We're already on to Week 8, Thor, and Syracuse, here we go. We're, we're getting excited now. Beat NC State, bowl eligible after just six games. Could not have imagined this start, and it brings us into our first game to talk about here, Thor. I mean, first off, how are you doing? And second off, Syracuse going to be able to take down Clemson? <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, uh, yesterday, uh, we're recording on Sunday night. Saturday uh, was fabulous. It it had gotten as much hype, more hype than any other Saturday uh, this season so far, and maybe even over last season Saturdays as well. And it somehow exceeded the hype. The games were just fabulous, like the theater of it. Just, I mean, like the the two thirty slot uh, Central Time was amazing, but like the whole day was amazing. You know, in terms of like having games up on your screen, and some of those games were just instant classics. Um, I'm looking at U Tennessee, Alabama, and then at night, the dessert course of Utah, USC was an incredible game as well. So it was yeah. just the, the whole thing, just a great college football Saturday. Excited to talk about uh, the lines. And as, as far as, as Syracuse, Clemson, that's a tough uh, matchup for old Syracuse, isn't it? Uh, Syracuse, yeah, 11 and a half point dogs going into Clemson here. Going to be tough. Yeah, Syracuse has caught it right, both with the 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 schedule early on. They were able to ambush Louisville in the opener. And then, you know, it it hasn't been the hardest slate, you know, to this point. And then you have this game against NC State that you would have in the preseason circled as like, this is going to be the tough one. Once well, NC State had just lost Devin Leary and they were banged up as well. And they had to turn around on a, you know, on, on a regular week, whatever, after the, they just sort of snuck by FSU with all these injuries. And then, you know, Syracuse, of course, as you know, had essentially had two straight bye weeks. You'd had the, you were coming off the bye and then you played Wagner the, the week before. Circumstantially, it worked out really well. This one, this is going to be a tough one. Uh, Syracuse, of course, as you know, they need to be led by the run game. This year, they can do way more of the, the passing. It, it's way more of a threat than it was last year. But you still need to be led by the running foot in that if Syracuse's run game goes away, that entire offense, you you, you take the tent pole out of the, the circus tent and the, the whole top comes down. Clemson's a team that's able to do that with their defensive front. Now, then again, this was the theory of why they were going to blow out Wake Forest earlier in the season. Um, and th they have in the past, but Clemson didn't do it this year. Clemson's offense has gotten better, but their defense, the personnel of it, people have been in, people have been out. Um, they have not been as quite as consistent defensively as, as we thought coming in. Their secondary has played better. I will say that initially, uh, first couple of weeks of the season, Clemson was getting torched through the air. That's gotten a little bit better. But if Clemson's able to take away that run game of Syracuse, they're going to run away with this thing. Uh, but we'll see about the health of their front, who is active, who is 100%, where they're going to be able to play the line share of the usage. Because be because of circumstances, Clemson, their front seven, vaunted for sure. Um, Talent-wise, the best in college football this season. But because of all the moving parts, they've had to minimize guys' roles, limit snaps, and or guys just being out. So so we'll see how that goes. But if they're able to shut off the tap of, of Syracuse's run game, they're going to be in a really good spot here. 
Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm more than nervous. It's hard to be nervous when you're 11 and a half point dogs. You're just hoping that something can happen. We'll have to see in this game. And you hit that nail on the head with, uh, with, with the success from yesterday. It was a fantastic day. I have another buddy who gives me a couple college football picks a week. And I just like, he knows the sport enough where I'm following him pretty comfortably blind. Like, and yesterday I just had the inkling. I was like, ah, you know what? I took four of them, put them in a little parlay. Ends up with a nice little bonus out of the day, which is good because I've taken a bath on NFL so far this Sunday. But speaking of teams that took a bath here, Ohio State is going up against Iowa. And I think that this might be the game where we finally get more than a couple touchdowns in an Iowa football game. Don't you think here, Thor? Minus 29 in the horseshoe or the Buckeyes. Boy, do I hope so. Um, cause if not, uh, this one could turn into, to a margin thing real quick. It, I mean, we're going to know really early after the kickoff, probably in the first, you know, half of the first quarter, whether Iowa can be viable whatsoever. Iowa obviously wants to turn it into a rock fight. Ohio, Ohio state is going to try to impose a track meet on them. Can Iowa do the rock fight thing enough to stay close and, or push it into the fourth quarter? Uh, we'll see about that. There's been games. In fact, I, I went to one in, in Kinnick Stadium that four or five years ago where Iowa was a heavy underdog to, to Ohio State. Nate Stanley was the quarterback. Iowa ambushed Ohio State in that game. There was multiple pick sixes at JT Barrett. Um, and then Stanley, they didn't, Iowa did not have to, to ask Stanley to uh, force the ball and stuff like that. And then it put him into a bad situation because the game script then flipped into their direction, but Iowa's offense, Thomas, as you know, is brutal, 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 brutal. Their offensive line is not good. Their running back talent is way down, and we know the, the quarterback's one of the worst quarterbacks in all of the FBS going down to the, the G5, and their receiving core stinks too. The only kid they got is, is really Sam Laporta on, on offense. So, you're, I mean, as an Iowa fan, you're, you're certainly concerned. The line is justified, but Iowa – there is a shot that they could at least impose the rock fight thing. And certainly with the, the, where, where you have this thing with the margin of it, um, you can make an argument for Iowa. But that's what I'm going to be digging into in my, my handicap this week with that game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I was – I think I'm completely with you on this one. I don't think that I was going to be able to keep this one as close as they need to. But 29 could be a lot, could be interesting. But let's move on to your team here, Kansas. Going up against Baylor. Baylor going to be eight and a half point favorites in this one. Baylor, um, there were so many good games yesterday. Did they get the win against BYU? I forget. Well, well, Baylor, they they lost to BYU earlier in the year, I think in overtime. Oh, I forget. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the Arkansas-BYU they, they, game there. Completely yeah. ignore me. Completely uh, ignore me. Baylor played West Virginia on Thursday night. and mm-hmm. they Yeah, actually, that's what it was. Yeah, and um, – this is this is a topical point to this handicap because Baylor would have won that game if not for injuries suffered during it. They not only lost their best offensive player, Blake Shapen, who was, I think Blake Shapen had his best career game against West Virginia, even though he got knocked out early in the third quarter of that game. Like he threw for over 300 yards, which he'd done, I think, only once or twice before that. Um, but the efficiency and everything was there. That's what you were sort of hoping for looking at the handicap because West Virginia's pass defense is so bad. But shaping goes down. Baylor's backup, uh, Kyron Drones, who had been the QB3 before Jerry Bohannon left, and Baylor sort of shoved Jerry Bohannon out the door. But Drones, he's a good athlete, but he's 
incredibly raw as a passer right now, not, not only in terms of reading the defense itself and the accuracy and the plays and stuff like that, but also the, the pocket presence, also just general game awareness, which manifested at the very end of that game, their final drive. It's like he didn't realize he only needed to get the ball to like the opponent's 32 yard line to, to try for a, a game tying field goal attempt that would have for, you know, pushed the game into overtime. He was doing things like, you know, scrambling around, taking up too much time or airmailing uh, throwaways where it took, you know, extra time off the clock, et cetera. Blake shape and his status is very important. And then while they lost their Baylor lost their best offensive player in that game, they also lost their best defensive player, Sayaki Ika. I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly. He's their planet sized nose guard who's 350 pounds or whatever, and extremely active, you know, like a, a Vince Wilfork type or the um, Danny Shelton type, you know, the kid from Washington a couple of years ago, he's that kind of a player um, with him out that Baylor was much easier as well to deal th- for, for West Virginia's offense to deal with their defense. We got to check on shape and status. We got to check on Ika's status uh, for sure. And Baylor already had, these uh health concerns with their skill talent on offense uh tay mcwilliams the guy who was their their projected starting running back coming out of camp has barely played this year we'll see if if they're able to get him back uh but but one example of some of the injuries that that they have had they also uh craig squirrel squirrel williams on thursday against west virginia he also got injured so like they baylor's had this 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 small true freshman richard reese this running back has sort of stepped up with some of these running back injuries. But now when you have, like, if, if, if Squirrel Williams can't play and Tate McWilliams is not ready to come back yet, you'll have a guy uh, in, in Reese that does not have a frame for full college usage yet or maybe ever who Baylor may have to thrust into that role just because they won't have any depth. And then you're, you're curious about the shape and thing as well. On, on the Kansas side, Jalen Daniels certainly is not going to play um, there was an interesting report by, I believe it was Pete Thamel. I hope I'm, 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 I'm remembering this right. I believe it was Pete Thamel that reported this. And apologies if I, I, I got the reporter wrong. Pretty sure it was him. But he reported on Saturday, I believe, that Daniels, their, the earliest possible date that he could return, it was their, I think it was their first game in November, uh, November 6th or like something like that. Um, and this went to Jalen Daniels's point of last week when Jalen Daniels quote tweeted the reporter who re- from the Lawrence Journal World, the local newspaper of, of the Jayhawks, who had reported that Daniels was going to miss the rest of the season with a separated throwing shoulder, that he'd been diagnosed with that. And then Daniels quote tweeted and was like, well, that's news to me. Um, so Thamel's report at least gives hope to the idea that, that Daniels could come back this season, but you're not going to see him this week. We're going to get Jason Bean again. Bean has analogous talent to Jalen Daniels for sure, and he's experienced as well. It's just he is far more inconsistent. It all goes back to the decision-making with him. When he's on, the accuracy is there, the timing's on, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. And he has the athleticism to augment it. Jason Bean was a track star in high school in Texas, arguably the fastest player on the Kansas roster, including the, the, the secondary. But the decision-making can come and go with him. He'll, he'll, you know, like once every quarter or so, he'll have a decision where you're just like, what did you see there? What was going through your head sort of a thing? And, so- and you saw that you saw that last game, but 
full credit to Kansas when he came in. And he, th- there were the times when he had those head-scratching decisions, but there were also the times when he was really good. And Kansas clearly felt confident enough in him that they didn't turtle up when they were trying to go for the lead there and when, when they had to play aggressive in that game. They kept firing and firing with him as their quarterback. Do you think they'll stay aggressive? 1000%. Yeah. Um, selectively aggressive is, is the way I put it. Cause, cause Leopold system, you're, you manage to stay efficient while you open up opportunities for the explosive plays. And that's what we saw earlier this season, but yeah, your, your points well taken um, being sort of facilitate or helped out the Oklahoma defense on a, a couple of times, a beleaguered Oklahoma defense. That was sort of the, the frustrating thing on the, on the Kansas side was, there was a, a couple of decisions there that flipped the field that, you know, again, you, you don't really know what he's seeing. And th- I mean, you know, you can go back to his previous work in previous years, but you can also just go back to the TCU game. Jason Bean was lights out in that game, barring like three plays, one of which turned into an interception. The other couple were just as ugly. It's just that the results of the play wasn't quite as bad, but again, just, just the head scratching thing. The, the consistency for him is, is going to be super important and how many of those dud plays you get, trying to minimize them as much as you can. But going up against this Baylor team that is, I mean, the whole depth chart right now, you're, you're looking at the, the injury report. You want to see the updates on those, but they are a badly beaten up team, however, whatever way you slice it. And if Blake Shapin isn't starting, the drop off from Shapin to drones certainly is bigger than the drop off from Daniels to Bean, and then if Baylor doesn't have their their planet-sized war daddy in the middle in Ika, it's going to be easier for Kansas to run, which will increase the efficiency of the Kansas offense, which, again, is going to facilitate the explosive plays. If Kansas can't be efficient on offense, those explosive plays won't be there for them. That's the the shoe that they're led with. But if they can get that run game going, if they can get – and then Bean on the perimeter and stuff like that um, off the bootlegs – that's how you open up these explosive play opportunities. We'll have to see on, on Ika's status, but it's this is a game that could go either way. Um, the, the opening line of this thing, I think this is a little bit puffed up considering Baylor's health concerns right now. Again, Shapen, their best offensive player, might not play. They're, they have bad problems in the running back room right now, whoever's going to be active. Um, and their best defensive player, a first-round prospect in Ika, is also questionable right now. So this is a game you have to, you're going to have to look into the injury report all week and see on the statuses of the kids, but at least as far as what we know right now on Sunday night, that line seems a bit inflated for where Baylor is uh, as a team. And then all the, what we've seen and then also where their health is right now. It's going to be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to it, but you know what else I'm looking forward to? We got LSU going up against Ole Miss here. LSU, they were able to get it done down in the swamp against the Gators. Now they come home to the Bayou where they have to take on an Ole Miss team that's still 7-0. and uh, The big teams that are getting the headlines in the SEC right now, obviously you've got Bama, Tennessee, and Georgia this Ole Miss team is right up there with them. Do you think that they're for real or are they kind of in a second tier below? Uh, I'll say uh, real-ish. Um, I, I don't know if that would completely go to the category categorization that you're talking about, but I still have my concerns about Mississippi for sure. Um, their their offense has been a bit stop and start um, where they've, they've sort of there's the stretches where they are not putting points on the board have been a way more prolonged than you would have anticipated in the preseason. The, the overall treetop stats haven't looked as bad 
in part because because Lane in a couple of these games is poured on at the end. Although he didn't decide to do that last Saturday when, or you know yesterday when he could have, he decided to take a knee in that one. But we've seen in some of these other games he hadn't done that. But you still have questions overall about the Ole Miss offense. But I will say the talent there that we have projected of maybe there won't be that big of a drop off after Matt Corral leaves and 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 all the guys that they they had before you know the the last era of of the Rebels. We thought that this offense was going to be better. Going to bring in Jackson Dart, bring in Zach Evans, um, this Judkins kid, and now as as usurped, you know, he, from the beginning of the season had usurped Ulysses Bentley, who we thought would have a bigger role. Whatever he's turned out to be a stud. They have all the receivers as well. Will that offense start to pick it up? We'll see. Lane Kiffin is not amending his play calling strategy whatsoever. Um, in the meantime, as as this new group is sort of trying to pick it up, remember. Lane Kiffin remade his roster as much, arguably, as especially in the offensive side of the ball, as any roster before it in the history of college football outside of Lincoln Riley. Like, Lane Kiffin went out and signed as many guys who were going to be starting for the next year as we had seen for a sitting head coach prior to that, right? Like, I mean, you know, and, and the, the rule changes obviously helped facilitate this, but Lane Kiffin being the portal king, and it wasn't that he brought players with him to where he went. He just remade that roster as we went. So I, I'm still hopeful that the the Olmus offense will become what the some of its parts say it can be. In the meantime, their defense is playing a bit better than we thought it was. So so they've sort of made up the ground in that way. But Ole Miss is on offense. They're still playing at the number one pace in the entire country. They're still playing at that that breakneck pace. And I think Lane's just hoping that that it's eventually going to um, that everything's going to coalesce because at the point that it does, that's how you can potentially to your to your first question, uh, get yourself into a position where potentially you can take down one of those those big tigers of the the SEC. But uh, right now, with where the offense is, I, I don't know that I would say that that they're capable of that. Well, they might be, they might have to work to take out one of the big tigers of the SEC, but they're actually getting uh, they're laying two points in LSU. Can they take out the LSU Tigers this weekend? Yeah, my my spread on that game is Ole Miss minus two, so I'm I'm right there on the Vegas line. This is a game I'm going to handicap all week. My my initial lean would probably be towards Ole Miss, um, just because I mean the offense hasn't been consistent, but overall the team has been. And then LSU, you've had this team where you see some, you know, it's like sort of like every other week with them a, a little bit where some of these games, you get the effort and they look really good. Like yesterday when they traveled down to Florida and they controlled that entire game and they ended up winning by by 10, but they, they were leading by more than that for a large portion of that game. But then you have these other games where it's like, like, like Brian Kelly was lamenting after the Tennessee game. And we now know that Tennessee is awesome for sure, but, it, but it wasn't, Tennessee didn't beat them by almost 30 points in Baton Rouge because of that. LSU helped them to do that as well. You had the fumble of the opening kickoff, and then it didn't seem like LSU's effort was 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 awesome the rest of that game, or even the the continuity of the the strategy. And then it started to get away from them, and then it started to get ugly. Um, with with LSU, you can't get your finger completely on the motivation of that team, et cetera. But coming off of the big win. Uh, this would be the time for me where I'd sort of lean the, the other way, especially with an Ole Miss team that I'm starting to trust a little bit more overall, even though I don't completely trust that offense yet, but they have the pieces, like I said, and projected them to be better in the summer. 
Now, how about this next game that we've got up here? It is going to be another banger, Texas and Oklahoma State. OK State, they lost to TCU in that ridiculous overtime game, 43-40. to 40. Now they have to come back and take on a Texas team that, oof, does look pretty back. The te- is Texas just going to continue on this upwards ascent? Yeah, they didn't get though. They didn't get what they were looking for versus Bama, but they've still looked like a good team so far. And Quinn Ewers is playing ball. Yeah, the the uh, yesterday when Texas played Iowa State was the classic Texas sleepy spot coming off the week where everyone says Texas is back, and it was the classic Iowa State ambush spot meeting. Um, and we saw it like it, it became a coin flip game at the end of the game. I actually think Texas got lucky there. Um, there was, it wasn't just one call. There was a couple calls at the end of that game or no calls um, that a lot of people thought maybe should have gone the other way. And there was the fumble where was Deckers, his knee down, et cetera. Um, te- Texas was either way you slice it. Texas was very fortunate to escape with that win in a game where they, at, at some points during the week, they were a 17 or a 17 and a half point favorite in the market. I think it closed you know, it's closer to like 15 because the, then the Sharps got involved and, you know, realized what the spot was, what it was. Y- you would figure at least playing pop psychologist with the teens, which I'll put that hat on. Um, you'd figure that you're going to get a more motivated Texas team this week after the sleepy spot and after they almost just blew it against Iowa State. You'd figure you would get the better performance this, this week uh, traveling to Oklahoma State. I happen to think that Oklahoma State, a lot of what they're doing is smoke and mirrors this team of Oklahoma State, but they're still doing it, right? Like they outplayed TCU for the large swath of that game. And then it, it went against them at the very end. They, they ended up losing that one in, in, in the overtime, but they continue to exceed my expectations in this game. I don't think I could back like where, where the line open and where you anticipate it going, you know, it's a four and a half. My line on this game is Texas minus two. To me, it's closer to a coin flip. Um, I can't lay over four points with Texas in this spot one way or the other. Um, we'll see what happens with the line this week. But for me right now with where it is, it would be Oklahoma State or stay away. Yeah, I, I like the I like the I like Okie State in this one too. They they've looked like a tough team to me, but Texas, they've been interesting as well. But this I, I was honestly surprised that this line was as low as it is at four and a half. And yet even then you think that it should be closer to two. I'm with you. It's Okie State to pass for me. Now, how about we got to talk about the other team that was involved in that Oklahoma State game, TCU and Kansas State now. K-State getting five points against the Horned Frogs, who are undefeated, and all of a sudden, they're they're the Big 12 champs right now. If they keep, if they keep this up, they're going to be right there. Do, do you think that TCU can get the job done? Are they for real, or do you think that they're just waiting for one of these games where they're going to slip up? But how do you think they can fare against Kansas State as five-point favorites at home? Straight up, you'd for sure lean uh, TCU based on what you'd seen. With where the line is, Vegas dropped this right on what my adjusted line was. My adjusted line in this game is TCU minus 5.1. It opens at TCU minus 5. So we're, we're right on, on that line. These two teams play opposite, right? Like Kansas State, wants they want to slow the game. They want to run the ball more. They they force a lot of usage uh, to Deuce Vaughn. They, they're, they're running back. Um, and then the, the quarterback runs around, yada, yada. Uh, TCU now, they they have they, they do the air raid. But there's a bit of a melding where they also have the downhill running game. And you have the shifty kid in, in, in Keandre Miller doing it as well. 
but th- their run game is really good as well. But the passing game has become awesome. And that, that was the problem last year where TCU just couldn't throw the ball. Max Dugan, what a difference a, a day makes or what a difference a year makes, you know, going from Gary Patterson and the previous system now to uh, Sonny Dykes and the air raid. Max Dugan looks like a totally different player and his viability through the air only helps what is probably his best. Well, not, not probably. It definitely is his best trait of his mobility because he's a tough runner. He's an athletic kid. It seems to have an instinct for it as well. So I like right now, uh, as far as like, you know, a, a, you know, should you bet this game early in the week? No. Cause I, I, like I said, I, I think this line is right on. It's a game that I'm going to dig into this week. Like I said, uh, as far as the, the straight up thing, I, I would certainly lean TCU right now, but as far as the handicap, I'm going to see what happens with this line this week. And then I'm going to dig, you know, a bit more into the ancillary advanced metrics of, of the on-field matchup between both these teams. Now, the next game that we have up here, Minnesota versus Penn state, Penn state laying four in happy Valley. Can the Gophers make something happen here or is Penn state uh, Penn state feels to me like that team kind of like at that old miss level. They're not quite one of the top teams in the big 10 they're right below Ohio State and Michigan for me. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, this one, the opening line here was going to be interesting to me either way um, in sort of trying to suss out what what Vegas and was was either thinking about Tanner Morgan's injury, the Minnesota quarterback, or what they anticipated the market thinking about it. And, like, I sort of thought this line, actually, I thought this thing was going to open up higher because my my adjusted line in this game is, is Penn State minus 3.4, but that's with both teams at full strength. Tanner Morgan got knocked out in the their Minnesota got upset by Illinois yes on Saturday. Um, and he went like they I mean he, he had to get carted off and then they took him to the hospital. He was cleared to fly back with the team. So Tanner Morgan is back in, in Minneapolis, but took a shot to the head almost assuredly is going to be in concussion protocol this week. If he is diagnosed or if he was diagnosed with an official medical concussion, I don't think that news has, th- there's no incentive for PJ Fleck to say that. In fact, I know after the game, he told the reporters that he, you know, I don't know any other, I don't know any details about, about Tanner's injury yet. Um, whether that's true or not, uh, there's no incentive for him to tell the reporters, whatever it was, if Morgan was d- indeed diagnosed with a concussion. And if he is indeed in the protocol, um, you would put him at way iffy to play in this game. And if he does not, uh, Minnesota is about to go into a gunfight without a gun, sort of, because their offense is not uh, passing. Expl- they, they can't generate explosive plays with a pass either way, uh, even when everyone's at full strength. But keep in mind, this is a team that lost Chris Ottman Bell, by far their wide receiver one earlier in the season. They already weren't a great passing team even before that. And now if Tanner Morgan's out, and you go down to the the second string kid, who I'm I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. The kid with the Greek uh, last name, uh, he he was awful in the Illinois game. It's a big part of the reason why they lost. So if if that's the case, and Morgan doesn't play, and you have to go to this redshirt freshman again, Minnesota's passing game is not going to be there, which will allow Penn State's nasty defense essentially to just stack the box against Minnesota and, and Mo Ibrahim and tried to erase Mo Ibrahim. Mo Ibrahim came back in the Illinois game. He had been withheld from the Purdue one. Some people thought he could have played, but he didn't. Fleck withheld him. Um, he came back for the Illinois game, and he looked fully healthy. He he was really the only bright spot for Minnesota on the entire day. 
Um, we'll see how he can contend potentially with stacked boxes in this one. But in lieu of Morgan's uh, status right now, with it being so up in the air, I'm a bit surprised that this thing only opened at minus four. I would have predicted, like if like beforehand, I, I would have thought more like five and a half, six, maybe even six and a half for Penn State. Um, a, a little bit low in, in lieu of the Morgan thing. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that, that, that that's going to be a big question mark and people need to keep an eye on it. But pretty obvious that, that we're going to see him not playing this week with concussion protocol, right? Well, to see, you know, I mean, the Gophers gave out zero and less than zero information by mm-hmm. design. Uh, most most teams don't. So we don't like at this time sitting here, we don't have any information about that. We, we, we don't know what Morgan was told by the doctors. We don't know what he was diagnosed with. We don't know what timeline he was given. Um, and the coaching staff is not going to apprise us that it's, it's one of those things during the week. We're just going to have to pay attention. Hope we get some you know, get a handout from Fleck, you know, like a, of, a, of a, a status update of Tanner Morgan that has some validity to it and not a not a Sam Pittman, a KJ Jefferson update from a couple of weeks ago or lots. Of, I'm not trying to pick on Sam Pittman because a lot of coaches just outright lie about the health status of their injured quarterbacks. But um, it, it, for, for this game, if you're interested in betting on Minnesota, you need to know the status of Tanner Morgan because you cannot bet again on you cannot yeah. bet on Minnesota. Only getting four points in this game uh, if Tanner Morgan's not going to play. You need to p- feel pretty confident about that. That the, mm-hmm. f- For this one right now where we're sitting, this is Penn State or stay away, and the Morgan status uh, will inform the rest of it. A couple other games that I want to get to here before we head out, Thor, and of course we have to talk about the big one here. Well, they're, they're no longer the Kings. Tennessee saw to that for now. Alabama and Mississippi State. Bama get laying 22 and a half points against Mississippi State here in this one, and should we just expect the bounce back? Let's face it, this Bama team has not looked as sharp as they have in previous seasons. Yeah, Bryce Young is still a little banged up, but Bama normally feels inevitable. And this year they have not felt that way to me. For sure. Yeah. They're, you know, we talked about this, even, you know, before the Tennessee game, their offensive line is down, their receiving core is down. And then when, you know, when young is compromised and he, he definitely was against Tennessee, although gutty, gutty kid, I like a couple of weeks ago, I would have said hundred percent Bryce young doesn't play in that game with the injury that I've been told that he had AC joint sprain of your throwing shoulder. That's yeah. always a two week plus injury. Um, but but Bryce Young came back with only missing one game. So credit to him. Tough kid. That is something that is going to be mentioned during his NFL evaluation, that he toughed it out to come back and play in that enormous game for Alabama and didn't look terrible at all, right? It wasn't the Bryce Young at the peak of his powers, for sure, but he gave them the fighting chance where, in especially, I mean, I, I was saying this last week, but especially in hindsight, it, it was proven true. If you had Jalen Milrow in there, Tennessee was winning that game by two touchdowns or more. I mean, like Alabama wouldn't have been able to literally do anything through the air. And that's the only way that you can attack the Tennessee defense. Um, Bryce Young's status, knowing, trying to sort of read between the lines of the quotes you're getting from the Alabama side to see what percentage is he, um, is, is very instructive to this handicap on either side of it. Alabama said after the game um, from, I mean, like Young and then the coaches, it, the, the whole uh, party line was, Bryce suffered no ill effects from this game whatsoever. Like he's, you know, he's only going to get healthier from here going out. I don't know about that. We we know that Nick Saban is is happier to lie about this stuff than than almost anyone. So 
again, we'll have to see. You're going to have to read between the lines a little bit of this one because Bryce Young's status is so important to that team. He's definitely going to play. It's just what, you know, are you going to get 98% Bryce Young? Are you going to get 82% Bryce Young? We're in between whatever. Um, knowing that you have the, the down offensive line and the down receiving core, whatever. On the Mississippi State side, it, it seems that while well, the the market and Vegas, the, the the folks that drop these lines, seems like they're still giving Alabama the tax and the credit on the spread. It seems like they are doing the opposite with Mississippi State. After Mississippi State was installed as the road favorite in Lexington yesterday, when, you know, we didn't know if Levis was going to play initially early on in the week. And then later in the week, it you know, he, he was going to play then, whatever. But Mississippi State still closed as the favorite. And Kentucky controlled most of that game. Was not a great game for Mississippi State. They did not acquit themselves well. The market is certainly going to be out on them. I, I, I don't think that game has any sort of predictive value as far as, like, depressing a line like this going forward. My adjusted line in this game is Alabama minus 16.3. So between that and the, the opening line, I'm showing a discrepancy of, of just a tick over six points of value on the Mississippi State side. That's the way that I would lean on this game for sure early on. Um, if you have a full strength, Bryce Young becomes a little bit different because then Alabama can put points on the board. Potentially it will. But the other thing I'll say is the thing that you want to attack on the Mississippi State defense, not the pass passing, de- it's, it's the run defense of theirs. That, that's what you so I expect uh, Jameer Gibbs to have a big game but with Bryce Young again with the status and, and everything else that I mentioned with Mississippi State's pass defense they could be able to lock him down a little bit uh perhaps better than than Tennessee did so I, I, right now with where that line is I, I lean the Mississippi State side all right, one more game that I want to ask you about here. It's certainly not one of the uh, big contests with heavyweight teams here. San Diego State and Nevada are going to be playing against each other. And when I was entering the numbers for the uh, for us in our rundown here, I, I had to go back and check this one three times just to make sure it wasn't a typo. The total in this game, I know we normally talk about sides. This is the one total I want to talk about because it's at 36 for a college football game. Uh, is this uh, I, I get that these two teams are bad but I mean no one in their right mind is betting under 36 but do you think that this total is where it should be well the so mine was 49 and a half but again that's not accounting for the the injuries like both these teams at full strength right and they're not uh specifically on the San Diego State side now San Diego State had the bye last week so we need to recheck in on the status of some of these guys but the last game San Diego State played, their quarterback room was so decimated by injuries, they had to move a kid from safety to quarterback that week to start uh, against, I, I think it was Hawaii, the, the week before last. Uh, Maiden, uh, Jalen Maiden, I, I believe his name. He And he had come over, he had played quarterback early on his career, actually, ironically, at Mississippi State, you know, the team we were just talking about. And then it transferred over to San Diego State. He Mississippi State had been like, you're, you're not a quarterback. And so he had gone to San Diego State, and then he was going to, you know, try to make his football career going forward as a safety. Uh, but then it was so bad at quarterback, they had to be like, uh, Maiden, we need you to, to play quarterback. Um, he did okay against Hawaii's defense, but Hawaii's defense is low-level FCS uh, quality, I, I think would be fair to say. Uh, this one against Nevada, I mean, Nevada, it's more or less the same. Um, but it's it's the quality opponent. Nevada, we've seen them now multiple times against really poor competition, have struggled to put up points. 
last night it was against Hawaii. That was that was the late game. Hawaii upset Nevada. Um, and a big part of the reason was because Nevada couldn't move the ball. Um, Nevada, shockingly, even though Nevada's best offensive player is Tua Tawa, their running back, they were struggling to run the ball. The way they were generating forward movement was just dumping the ball off to Tua Tawa in, in the receiving game and then having him run. He had, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he had like six catches for like 70 yards. That was like the bulk of Nevada's yardage for the game. Nevada's going to have to figure that out. Uh, San Diego State's defense is way better than Hawaii's. Um, and San Diego State, going back years and years and years, has always had a good run defense. So, so Nevada's going to have to figure that thing out. But then on the other side with San Diego State, you're going to have to look into the health of their quarterback room. They're going to get Burmeister back, if not that, one of the backups, or is it going to be we're playing the safety at quarterback again? And that one could go any different way. Like the Hawaii thing, I think that probably went about as good as San Diego State could hope for, and they sort of ground out this very close win. You don't want to be doing that in more games than that. Uh, so we'll see. If, if San Diego State is able to start one of the guys that began the season as a quarterback, they're certainly going to do that. That would put in jeopardy the under. But if San Diego State trotting out the safety again and they're playing this Nevada team that we know can't move the ball um, and Nevada, their best thing is going to be going into the strength of the San Diego State defense, that's why this number is as low as it is. And it also could justify an under bet. So you got to check on the status there. It's going to be an interesting I look forward to that rock fight. I, I want to see some bad college football this week, Thor. Especially it, especially the late night games. You know, you, like you watch the games all day and you're, you know, it's it's like you go to Thanksgiving and you just stuff yourself all day. And then yeah. on, on Saturday night, like I'm always sort of ready to pass out, but I can't give up college football yet because I know it's still on. So I, I have a TV in my room. So I always turn the TV on and then shut the It's always the Hawaii game. So I'll just watch that in bed until I, I pass out or whatever. Having these games as the the late late games, I always watch them, and it's like I actually sort of like the the crappy uh, basement games, the, the garbage games or whatever. Uh, yeah. Nevada, Nevada, Colorado State was was fabulous a couple of weeks ago, and this one should be good in in that same vein as well for sure. It's your impractical jokers and George Lopez late night TV <laughs> where nothing else is on and you're just desperate for anything. And you're like, let's go. We're watching this right now. One thousand percent. But Thor, if people want to watch some good college football analysis, they're not done here. They can head on over. Well, they have to wait a couple days, but they can head on over and watch you and Scott Bogman on our Wednesday preview show. And then, of course, they can also follow up with you Saturday morning, bright and early at 7 a.m. Eastern, uh, 7 a.m. Pacific time, where you and Mike for Mike Farrell are giving away your best picks for the Saturday slate on our final on our day of breakdown and of course they can follow you at Thor KU on Twitter as well Thor my friend it's been a pleasure let's go orange this week and rock chalk Jayhawk we'll see you guys next week